3: Showcase Sundays today on the Mutual Audio Network
7: The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance.
5: This is Lauren Green when gold was discovered in California in 1848, the news spread slowly at first. But by the spring of 1849, gold rush fever was sweeping the eastern states like an epidemic. Tens of thousands of people, hoping for quick riches and a new life, left their homes and headed west. Some went by ship. Far more across the continent in wagon trains, across vast plains and mountains that had scarcely even been mapped. The dangers of the trail were far worse than anything they could possibly imagine. They would face storms, hostile Indians, shortages of food and water. Disease would strike like a thunderbolt, creating panic wherever it appeared. But gold is a powerful magnet. And as soon as the spring grass was high enough for their stock to graze on, the 49ers were ready to set out on the trail to California. I insist on good discipline, Mrs. Fraser. I intend to run the wagon train with a firm hand.
8: I expect you do, Mr. Blackstone. There
5: will be no weak links in our chain. You and your nephew are fully prepared for our great adventure?
8: Pretty near. I just got. The
5: train must leave on schedule, Mrs. Fraser. Saturday morning, you know. The time is growing short. And that's only the beginning of our story.
9: Mutual
0: Radio Theater, a new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week, brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater. Our story, Cash on the Barrowhead, by Robert Ellis, our stars Peggy Weber and Vic Perrin.
5: By May of 1849, the frontier village of Independence, Missouri, had become a boom town, an overnight melting pot, where people of all kinds were thrown together in a headlong rush to the gold fields. In the crowded dining room of the Argus Hotel in Independence, Mattie Fraser and her nephew face each other across the supper table
8: can't wait for you any longer, Aunt Maddie. i got to get to California as fast as I can. But you promised me, Frank. I'm counting on you. I've got to have a man to help on the wagon. It's the rules. You can get somebody else. Easy. There's lots of fellas around. Well, I can't take just anybody. You're my sister's boy, and I trust you. we have got to get to the mines before the gold's all gone, Aunt Maddie. Well, we're leaving Saturday. That's not so far away. It's four days.
9: I... I'm leaving tomorrow. Tomorrow? With a couple other fellas. No wagon, just our horses. We figured to catch up with the Madison train. They left here a week ago. We can join. them Frank,
8: you just got to wait for me. I don't trust
9: nobody else. I can't help it, Aunt Maddie.
2: I'm real sorry. Oh, please,
9: Frank, I need you. No. Oh, Frank. My mind's made up. I'll come say goodbye in the morning. Oh,
3: Frank, come back. Frank! Excuse me. You probably don't want to be bothered by a stranger at the next table, but I... You're
8: right, I don't.
3: I couldn't help overhearing your conversation. I
8: was talking too loud again.
3: I've got a proposal for you. May I join you at your table?
8: Well, you're polite anyhow. All right, come on over.
3: Ah, that's better. I'm Gideon Winslow.
8: What do they call you? Giddy?
3: <laughs> no, just Gideon.
8: Well, my name is Matilda, and they call me Maddie. Maddie Fraser. Where are you from? Boston. Boston, huh? So that's why you talk so funny.
3: Do I talk funny?
8: Now, you don't sound much like Missouri. What's your proposal?
3: In your conversation with your nephew, you said that you're going to California. Well, so am I. You need a man to work your wagon, and I need some wagons.
8: Are you crazy? Why should I take you on? I don't know nothing about you.
3: Give me a chance to tell you. I'm 23 years old and in good health. We Winslows are very respectable people. My father operates the family shipping business, and I'm expected to... Well, you don't care about that. I'm a graduate of Harvard College.
8: I don't care about none of them things. They don't mean nothing out here. What do you know about and an axle? You ever drive two yoke of oxen? Can you handle a gun? Do you know how... Yes, about...
3: Guess what? Well, I'm an excellent shot. I have my own rifle and my own horse. I can provide my own supplies. Oh, and
8: out here, you're a greenhorn.
3: I'm afraid that's exactly the right word.
8: At least you're honest about it.
3: I wouldn't be able to fool you for very long, would I?
8: You didn't do nothing wrong back in Boston, did you?
3: No, I'm not running away from anything. I just felt I wanted to do something exciting before I settle down to a job and a family for the rest of my life.
8: Now you're really talking funny.
3: I suppose I am. Are you going to California to hunt for gold?
8: I ain't going to hunt for it, no. I read in Niles Register that the miners pay for everything with gold dust. So I'm going to set up a nice pair of scales on the front desk of my hotel and just weigh
3: out. You've got a hotel in California?
8: Well, I ain't got it yet, but I'm going to have it. Might even build one. Back in St. Louis, I... uh, You don't know St. Louis, do you? No. Well, me and my husband owned a hotel there, (laughs) Then he died last year, and I had a bad spell myself. A
3: spell? Are you sure you're well enough to travel?
8: Of course I am. I ain't had nothing for a long time now. Anyhow, I just started thinking it was time for a change, so I sold the hotel, and uh, I'm going to California to open up a new one.
3: Which wagon train have you joined?
8: Blackstone's. Mr. Andrew Hollister Blackstone's.
3: You don't sound as if you like him very much.
8: I don't think he likes me very much. The whole trains, missionaries, and people like that from Ohio. Except me. Very proper folks.
3: Mr. Blackstone is your guide?
8: We ain't the guide. We got a good mountain man as guide. Blackstone don't know no more about the trail than you do. He's the captain of the train. We all elected him. That is, they did. I voted for somebody else.
3: Why go on his train if you dislike him so much? There are trains forming up all the time.
8: I don't have to like him, do I? I just figured I could trust religious folks. Besides it's the first train I can be ready for.
3: Having trouble getting supplies? Well, oh,
8: I've got everything I need. I'm just having a little work done on the wagon and the dragted wheelwright and the cooper smith are so busy you gotta wait in line. Do you have a gun? Got a rifle, same as you.
3: Between the two of us, we should be able to hold off the missionaries, don't you think?
8: <laughs> You're all right, Gideon, even if you don't know much. But, you know, i got to be careful about who I take on. Oh, drats. What's the matter? Well, here comes Mr. Andrew Hollister Blackstone himself. Just keep your mouth shut, Gideon. Maybe he won't notice you. How do you, Mister Blackstone?
6: Good evening, Missus
5: Fraser. I trust you are well. a
8: oh, fair, Miss Blackstone. I
5: am pleased to hear it. There is a great deal of sickness going around. I am disturbing you at supper to inquire if you are absolutely certain that your wagon will be ready on time.
8: Well, I'm certain. We'll ride us south, promise, Miss.
5: Splendid, splendid. Many people have applied to me for a place in my train. Very worthy people. I have had to tell them that there are no openings, unless, of course, someone were to drop out.
8: I ain't going to drop out.
5: And what about your nephew? What about him? Well, you remember I told you earlier that I do not accept any wagons with only females in them. There must be at least one man to work each wagon. No weak links in our chain, you know.
8: I remember.
5: Your nephew will accompany you as planned?
8: Well, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, no. No, Mrs.
5: Fraser. But why not?
8: Well, he had to leave.
5: I don't like this at all, Mrs. Fraser. Last-minute changes are usually mistakes, hasty and ill-advised. And I insist upon getting acquainted with every member of my little band before we leave. Unless you find a replacement for your nephew and at once you will I'm have...
6: going
3: to replace him, Mr Blackstone.
6: <laughs> oh and
3: who are you? Gideon Winslow. Winslow.
6: Winslow.
3: Oh, I knew a family by the
5: name of Winslow in Cincinnati. They were Presbyterians.
3: I'm from Boston, sir.
5: Oh, Boston. Oh, yes. There are a great many radical ideas coming out of Boston these days. I haven't brought any with me, Mr. Blackstone. Well, that is good news indeed. But I must tell you that I will accept only people of good moral character. We forbid profane swearing and obscene conversation. I should hope you would, sir.
3: A man's outer grace reflects the harmony of his soul. Gracious me, you quote Plato. And we
5: are here in Missouri. I am impressed. My, my, Mrs. Fraser. Where did you ever find this young man?
6: Oh, he just...
5: I would think you made a splendid choice. Splendid. I would say you have fulfilled our requirements very nicely. We will all meet again then on Saturday morning. If I can be of any service, Mrs. Fraser, please let me know.
8: Oh, yes, Mr. Blackstone, I sure will.
5: I hope we will be able to share some conversation in the course of our long journey, Mr. Winslow.
3: I'll look forward to it, sir.
5: (laughs) Thank you. Good night, then.
3: Good night, Mrs. Fraser. Oh,
8: good night. Good night. That's amazing.
3: Well, you've got your place in the train.
8: Yep. Yes, I have, thanks to you. You sure know how to manage Blackstone. That'll come in handy on the trail. Why, he was almost a human being when he left. How'd you do that?
3: Lots of practice. I knew half a dozen professors like him at college. Who's Pluto? Uh, Plato. He was a teacher, too.
8: Hmm. Maybe you're going to work out all right after all, Gideon.
3: Have we made a bargain, Maddie?
8: Maddie? Reckon we have. I don't know how much help you're going to be, but you seem proper enough, so I suppose I can trust you.
3: You might look a little happier. How about a handshake?
8: Here's my hand. Well, I guess we're stuck with each other, ain't we?
3: Thanks for all the enthusiasm.
8: Oh, we both could probably do a whole lot worse.
6: Mm -hmm.
5: Friday morning, the day before the Blackstone train is to leave, Matty Fraser makes an important stop at the front desk of the Argus Hotel.
9: Good morning, Mrs. Fraser. I hope you slept well. Oh,
8: not bad, not bad. Remember that package you put in the hotel safe for me? Uh,
9: certainly. But I... I hope you aren't checking out. I haven't made up your bill. No,
8: no, not yet. But I want my package, if you please.
9: Yes. Yes, of course. Just a moment.
8: That safe looks strong enough for the U.S. Mint.
9: (laughs) Yes, doesn't it? Nothing's too good for our guests. Let me see. Um... Ah, yes, here's your name. Mrs. Fraser... Uh, yours is the package wrapped in uh, blue silk? Yeah,
8: that's right. Still there, is it?
9: Well, naturally, Mrs. Fraser. Here you are. The safety of your valuables can be taken for granted. There has never been any kind of... Uh, uh... Robbery?
8: Well, I should hope not.
9: Uh, really, I assure you.
8: Uh... Oh, I'm just pulling your leg, young man. Don't oh. pay no mind to me. Do I sign for this thing? Uh, yes,
9: Yes, please. Right here.
8: Right here. Well, if Mr. Blackstone asks for me, you can tell him I'm going to the wheelwrights. My wagon's just about ready.
9: Oh? You'll be leaving us soon?
8: Yep. Early tomorrow morning.
9: I expect you're going to California. Nowhere else. It sounds just wonderful. Imagine, you'll be able to pick up chunks of real gold right out of the riverbeds.
8: Well, I don't know about that. Maybe it ain't all that easy. Besides, California's 2,000 miles away. And we ain't even got started yet.
5: Many 49ers left for California with no more equipment than they could hastily toss into a farm wagon. They set out with hope and a prayer and an innocent trust that they could count on their fellow Argonauts if they needed help. The Blackstone Wagon Train forms a long line of 18 canvas-top wagons moving slowly across the prairie. Matty is at the range of her wagon near the end of the train. Gideon on horseback rides beside her. Far ahead the outriders have come upon a wagon that broke down beside the trail the day before. Mr. Blackstone himself has stopped to talk with the unlucky party. How could you have been so foolhardy as to set
2: out for California without even
5: a spare wheel?
2: What did you say your name is? Uh, Norris, sir, Norris. Uh, this here's my daughter, Angela. Please meet you, sir. Well, how do you do?
5: There are just the two of
6: you.
2: That's right, sir. We left Independence with a Callahan train. Didn't
5: anyone offer to help you?
2: No. No, sir. Not a soul had lent a helping hand in our hour of need. They just went on without us. A hard-hearted lot, sir. Yes. Well, uh,
5: can the wheel be repaired?
2: No, I don't think so, sir. And it isn't just the wheel. Gracious me. What else is wrong? Well... When the wheel give out the axle busted, too, I ain't got nothing to fix it with.
3: What's happened, Mr. Blackstone?
5: Well, nothing to any of our wagons, I'm happy to say, Mr. Winslow. But this poor man, Mr. Uh, 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 Norris, is in dire straits. Lack of foresight, of course.
8: No, sir. Lack of money.
5: Well, whatever the reason, it wasn't wise to set out on a long journey so poorly prepared. No spare wheel, no means to repair the axle. Oh,
2: we thought everything would be fine, sir. We thought everybody would help each other on the train. Well, we'd have helped them if they needed it.
3: But it's not really fair to ask anyone to give up spare wagon parts at the very start of a 2,000-mile trip. You've got two horses tied behind your
5: wagon. Why don't you ride back to Independence and buy what you need?
2: Well, like my daughter says, sir, we ain't got the money.
5: Well, I... I hardly know what to say. We'll ask if anyone can help, of course, but. um uh, Mr. Winslow, do you think Mrs. Fraser can
2: give this poor man a wheel? Maddie's got spares. Maddie? It? Maddie Fraser from St. Louis? Yes. Do you know her? Oh, know her. Sure I know her. Why, she'd be glad to help out an old friend.
5: Really, Mr. Norris, I think you're expecting a great deal to
3: presume that much on friendship. Her wagon's almost up to us. Uh, Maddie, over here. Bring the wagon over here.
8: What's the trouble?
3: This man, Mr. Norris, says he's a friend of yours.
8: He does?
6: Well, what did I tell you? Oh, boys. Oh.
2: Only that he knows you.
8: Norris, huh?
2: That's right, Maddie.
8: I don't think... Oh, I ain't never seen you before in my life.
2: Oh, we met two, three times in St. Louis. I was just telling these gentlemen you'd be glad to help out an old friend.
3: But Mrs. Fraser said she didn't... Yep,
2: Maddie, I need a new wheel and something to fix the rear axle with. And I just knew you'd help well, me out.
8: even if I did remember you and I don't... I ain't sure I could help. Not
2: even a man who put up at your hotel in St. Louis?
8: My hotel?
2: Yep. The River House. Real nice place. Oh, I suppose it's expecting too much that you'd remember everybody that stopped there. Well,
5: uh, Mr. Norris, we really do not have time to reminisce like this. There's a storm coming, and we absolutely must move
2: on. Of course, I knew your husband real well. Nice feller. Too bad he died. I have... A... I was awful sorry to hear about it. I'll bet you miss him a lot. Uh, Mr. Norris, I do not wish to appear rude... You ever tell I... these gentlemen what a famous place the River House is, Maddie? No, I... No, I never did. Oh, I'd give it a real good recommendation any time. Right now, if you want. We're wasting
3: time, Mr. Norris. You have a wheel and axle to be repaired. Now, don't you think...
2: Oh, Maddie's going to help me out there. Ain't you, Maddie? An old friend of your husband's? Maddie? Is anything wrong?
8: No, get in. I think, uh... I just... Think it's
2: my moral duty to help Mr. Norris. Now that's the mad I remember. Why,
5: this is uh, surely a, a, a very generous action, Mrs. Fraser. Very uh
2: praiseworthy. And uh I'll need some help with the axle. What? Well, I mean, I can't do it all alone now, can I? That's a two man job, you know. Gideon
8: do you think you might give Mr. Norris a hand?
3: If you want me to, Maddie, of course. But, Mrs. Fraser, this is really too much.
5: I cannot hold up the entire wagon, Well, uh,
8: I, I guess you'll have to go on without us, Mr. Blackstone. We'll try to catch up later.
5: Oh, I don't like this at all, Mrs. Fraser. This kind of unexpected change of plans
2: is always disruptive. Life is full of surprises, ain't it?
8: Oh, somebody's got to help him out. It's it's the proper thing to do.
5: Oh, yes, yes, of course. Very commendable, Mrs. Fraser. Really admirable. But the rest of us absolutely must continue on. I, I hope you understand. I, I would really like to help, oh, but... Oh,
8: I understand.
5: Well, then, that's settled. I trust we will meet again. Oh, and,
3: and soon, of course. Mr. Blackstone, thank you for everything. Not
5: at all, my boy, not at all. We, uh, we must always try to look on the bright side of life, mustn't we? Even when things seem most uh, uh, hopeless. <laughs> Goodbye, Mrs. Fraser. <laughs> Stone wagon train has wound over the hill and dropped out of sight. As the dark clouds of a spring thunderstorm move slowly closer, two wagons stand near each other beside the trail, alone in a great expanse of green prairie.
3: Well, the sooner we start the repairs, the better. I'll tie up my horse and take a look at that wheel.
8: Mr. Norris?
3: Hmm?
8: Don't tell the boy about St. Louis,
2: please, why not? He looks old enough. he wouldn't understand well, that's your problem. I got more important things to think about. What do you want? Well, you know what I want the money,
3: Mr. Norris. This is very strange. it looks It looks as if your wheel spokes were
2: smashed with an axe. Well, now, what do you make of that?
3: I can't imagine
2: what happened, but
3: look at this spoke right <laughs> here. And here, don't they look like cuts from an axe?
2: I guess all that education you got back east did you some good after all. Nurse, you leave him out of this. The wheel was smashed with an axe, smart boy. I did it myself. You planned it like this. You knew you could make me drop out of the train. You catch on real fast, Maddie. Oh. You're almost as smart as he is. Maddie, what's this all about? You got him, Angela? I
8: got him, Paul. Huh? And they're both loaded.
2: Hey, those are our rifles. You hold it right there, smart boy. Now that's better. All I had to do was keep you too busy talking and Angela could have emptied your whole wagon. How does it feel to look down the barrel of your own gun? What do you want with us? Money, of course. Money? We haven't got much money. I'm talking about $15,000, smart boy. What? Maddie, I don't know Don't what... you ask her. She'd only lie to you anyhow. Now just a minute. I'll tell you all about it. Woman like her. I'm going to tell you just what kind of woman you're traveling with, smart oh, boy. Oh,
8: I never want to... Just listen to
2: me, smart boy, and when you've heard enough, you can climb on your horse and ride right back to Independence. I'm not likely to do that. Oh, no? Suppose I tell you that Maddie's hotel was really a You want me to call it a dance hall, Maddie, or maybe a saloon? I don't care what you call it. Everybody in St. Louis knows about the river house and... The kind of people that went there. Seems like you weren't too fussy. Me? Why, I never set foot in it. I never been near a place like that. Angela, darling, the words burned my throat when I said I'd been there.
8: I know, Paul. But
2: I had to say that so she'd know I could tell Blackstone all about her.
8: Doesn't matter, Paul.
2: Just so's you understand, darling. No, Maddie, you and me ain't never met before. Maybe I ain't as perfect as that jackass Blackstone, but I got my pride.
8: And a lot to be proud of, too.
2: Don't you talk to me like that. What do you got to be proud of? You even lied about being a widow. She never had a husband, smart boy, not in St. Louis anyhow. Was that supposed to make you more respectable, Mrs. Fraser? Uh, You just ask your friend Winslow now if he still wants to travel with a woman like you. You must have a twisted
3: view of life, Mr. Norris. I'm glad I don't feel the way you do. Twisted, huh? We'll see what's twisted.
2: I got the two of you right in the palm of my hand.
3: Of course, you're holding a gun on us.
2: I know a lot more than you think I do, smart boy. Angela and me were sitting right near you and loudmouth here in the hotel dining room that night when you joined up together. We heard every word the two of you said. That explains it. I got a real surprise when I found out we were so close to the famous Maddie Fraser. The whole of St. Louis was talking about it when she sold the river house. You got uh, 15000 for it, didn't you, Maddie?
8: None of your business.
2: Oh, it's my business, all right. Well, now, I just put two and two together. If you sold out in St. Louis and you're going to buy a new hotel in California then it seems like you might be carrying a lot of cash with you, don't it? Maybe it'd be worth my time to keep an eye on you.
8: You followed me?
2: (laughs) Yep, I sure did. Right from the hotel desk to the wheelwrights. And you carrying that package from the safe all wrapped up in pretty blue cloth. Now, I says to myself, why would she take her money to the wheelwrights? There's a lot of carpenters in town, and they could have made a nice box for her to keep it in, if that's all she wanted. No, she goes to a wheelwrights, the fella that builds wagons. So I says to myself, she must be having the money built right into the wagon somehow, like a secret compartment.
8: Well, you ain't never going to find
2: it. Mary. I ain't even going to look for it. Huh? Well, not right away, anyhow. I got all the time in the world. We're going to leave you two right here and take your wagon to California. If I ain't found the money by the time we get there, I can take your wagon apart, board by board. If only you told me about it, Maddie, I might... Shut up, you two. Angela?
6: Yes, Paul? Get our
2: things out of the busted wagon and put them in Maddie's. All right, Paul. We've been sitting here all packed and waiting for you, Maddie.
3: It was a pretty clever scheme all around, Mr. Norris. I've got to hand it to you.
2: You know, I can't figure you out. If I was in your boots, I'd be maddering a wasp right now. I can't think clearly when I'm angry, Mr. Norris. Well, you go right ahead and think all you want to, smart boy. You can't do nothing. It's too late. All set, Angela?
6: Almost, Pa. couple more bags.
2: How are you feeling right now, Maddie? Don't you wish you'd stayed put? Back in the river house. Don't you talk to me. Why, if you hadn't sold it, you could still be parading around your fancy red parlor, acting like the Queen of St. Louis, looking superior and... And And what, Mr. Norris? And, uh, and acting like everybody always said she did.
1: All righty, Pa. Everything's in the new wagon.
2: You seem to know the river house pretty well, Mr. Norris. Shut up, you, and, and get over there by the busted wagon. Go on, move.
3: As long as he's got the gun, Matty, we'd better do what he says.
2: I guess we better.
3: Oh, did
2: No talking. I don't want any talking.
3: Right, does Angela know about your visits to the River House, Mr. Norris? You shut up.
2: I've never set foot in a place like that.
1: Oh, no, Pa, stop.
2: Angela, darling, don't listen to him.
1: What difference does it make now, Pa? Don't you ever get tired of pretending? Pretending?
2: My own daughter calls me a liar... Oh, it's a good thing your mother ain't and
1: alive. Ma knew all
8: about it. You never fooled her for a minute. She knew all about all those places
1: you went to.
2: I, I, I just can't we believe it. We
1: always had to pretend about everything. Right up to the night Ma died, she was still pretending, making excuses for what? you. And then hours after she died, you finally came home Well, I don't know which hurt most, losing her or, or seeing you kneeling next to the bed holding her dead hand and... And telling me you had to work late. Pretending again like you
8: always did. Angela,
2: Angela, darling, I... I, I never meant to... I was only trying to... Uh, hey, you Winslow, you quit whispering. We
3: were just wondering if you'd let us get some things out of our wagon. It's starting to rain, and Maddie should have her bonnet and shawl.
2: She can sit in a busted wagon. It's going to be hers anyways. Oh,
1: Paul, let her get her things. What difference does it make?
2: Uh, all right. But we're going to search anything you take, just to be sure.
1: That's kind
3: of you, Angela. Thanks.
2: Here, Maddie, let me help you out.
8: I won't be in here a minute.
2: I got my eye on you, Winslow. You caused enough trouble already. Angela, I'm sorry.
1: Don't be. It would have happened sooner or later, anyhow.
3: You're getting wet. It
1: don't matter. Rain feels good.
3: (laughs) Maddie, what is it? (laughs) Norris, I'm going into the wagon.
2: Hey, you come back here. Huh? something's wrong.
3: Maddie. My God. She's unconscious.
6: Oh, look at her face.
5: Lord Green again, and here's the fourth act. Of cash on
2: the barrel there. Maddie? Can you hear me? Ah, she's play acting. There ain't nothing the matter with her.
6: Paul, her face is all gray. I
2: think she's coming too. Maddie? Uh, What is is it? What
6: happened? Oh, this terrible pain in my stomach like a knife. Oh, so. She's all doubled up.
2: Uh, she, she, she's faking it, it. It's some kind of trick. Have you ever had anything like this before?
6: Nothing. There's ever.
2: You've got to get her
3: out of here.
6: Can, can I have some water? Get in. I'm terrible. Thirsty. The
3: canteen's right here. Do you think you can sit up a little?
6: I don't know. Awful cramps. getting Awful. All around my stomach. Here.
3: Uh, so let, me, let me hold your head.
6: Oh, oh easy, it. Can
3: you oh. swallow some water?
6: I can't get it. I can't hardly get it, Dan.
2: What's the matter with her? I don't know yet. Here, Maddie, have another sip. Well, you've got to get her out of here. Get her out of here, and right now...
6: Oh, but, Paul, she looks awful sick.
2: She is faking, I tell you. There was not nothing wrong with her a couple of minutes ago. Well, there is now. Can can she get up? She's pretty weak. She ought to rest a little. Well, she can rest in a busted wagon.
1: Now, Paul, don't be like that. She's
2: sick. Why'd she have to get sick in here? Why couldn't she... Here, can... here, Maddie, let me put this towel under
3: your head. She's... She's covered with
6: sweat. Hey, well, what difference does that make... We're... Oh, hot. it's going to be all right, Meg. It's going to be I all right. I need flowers. They're going to get all melted.
3: What's she talking about? She's delirious. Maddie, Maddie, who's Betsy? Here, s- see if you can sit up a little more. There, there.
6: Oh, a stomach hurt. Oh, oh.
3: Let me, let me try your pulse. Do
6: you know how to do things like that? oh, oh yes. Oh
2: shh. shh Natty. Everything's gonna be all right. I just want to hold your wrist for a minute. Can't we pick her up? We gotta get her out of here.
8: Oh, now let her be for a little.
2: Hurry up, smart boy. Do
8: something. Mama the flower. Betsy.
6: Betsy.
3: I can barely feel her pulse. It's terribly faint. Well, what does that mean?
6: She
2: keeps clutching her belly. The pain must be getting worse.
6: She's in a terrible way, Paul. What are we going to do?
2: We're going to get her out of here. That's what we're going to do. Now, wait, wait a minute.
3: I think.
6: Let's I, see.
2: She's thirsty and sweating a lot.
6: The pain of. Oh, we all. Wet. Oh, Betsy. Betsy, please. Get I've had about it. as much as this as oh, I'm going to take. Stomach. Domino, oh.
2: Let me get oh. over there. Oh. Get out of my way! I'll just grab her shoulder.
6: Oh, oh, please! Oh, give him! Give him! Weak
3: pulse. Oh dear God! What is it? What she got? It's cholera. It must be cholera. Oh, oh,
6: oh. let's get out of here. Oh so Give him! Don't leave me! Here's your horse, Paul. Oh. Hurry!
3: I'm riding out of here, Norris, and you aren't going to stop me.
6: Oh, 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 oh. Oh, tell the pain. Get in. Help me. Ready, Angela? Ready, Paul? Come on. Come on.
3: Tell is Betsy.
8: Well, it's about time you came back. Will you help me sit up? Uh, there. Uh, How's that? Uh, you had my head so twisted I couldn't breathe. I didn't even hear him go. What took you so long?
3: They headed back toward Independence. I had to wait till uh, so they were out of sight. Uh, Maddie, you were wonderful.
8: Well, of course I was.
3: Well, my idea about the collar was pretty good too, uh, don't you think,
8: Gideon? It's probably the best idea you ever had.
3: What did you put on your face to make it look gray?
8: Soot from the lantern. There. You ain't the only one around here with their wits about them.
3: My horse is already tied behind the wagon. I'll get our rifles and put Norris's things back in his wagon. I think you feel well enough to travel. <laughs>
8: well the rain stopped Gideon you think we're going to be able to catch up with Blackstone easily how come you're so sure
3: tomorrow's Sunday whoever heard of missionaries traveling on Sunday We'll be there in time to join them in their first hymn.
8: Well, hallelujah. Wonder if I can get the soot washed off by then. Gideon? What? Oh, I just thought I'd, I ought to tell you where the money is. It's right there.
3: The flour barrel?
8: Yep. It's Betsy Brand Flour.
3: <laughs> you, you mean like the old saying, cash on the barrel head.
8: Well, it ain't exactly on it. It's more like under it. it. had a false bottom built into that barrel.
3: I'd have been proud to have thought of it. You know, a thief would have to be pretty smart to beat us, Maddie. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs>
5: The
0: Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, Cash on the Barrelhead, was written by Robert Ellis and produced and directed by Fletcher Markle. Your host was Lauren Green. Our stars were Peggy Weber and Vic Perrin. Featured in the cast were Brian Farrell, Marvin Miller, Joan McCall, and Corey Burton. The Mutual Radio Theater theme was composed by Nelson Riddle. John Harlan speaking. The Elliott Lewis production of Mutual Radio Theater is a presentation of CVI.
10: This is Andy Griffin. Join us tomorrow at this same time. I've got another story I think you'll find riotously amusing. This is Andy Griffith.
6: Karen Mahoney
10: doesn't have a care in the world, and why should she? She's living in a bustling metropolis, New York, doing what she enjoys doing, temporary secretarial work. She's even married to the man of her dreams. But, into each life, a little rain must fall, or at least a monkey wrench must fall now and then, because things aren't meant to go smoothly all the time. With that in mind, Karen's received instructions to report to an office on the 34th floor of a skyscraper in Manhattan for work. That's precisely where she is right now. Come in.
11: Oh, quick, close the door. You let all my lovely creatures out. I'm sorry. Oh, where are
1: you? I heard your voice, but I can't see you with all these plants and trees and birds in here.
11: I've got you in your office, dear age Now, uh, follow Herman the Rabbit. He knows the way.
1: Herman the Rabbit? What's going on, here? Are
11: you coming, dear? Uh, y- y- yes, I'm coming. Oh,
1: oh. And none of these plants are the poisonous, are they? I mean, I won't get poison ivy, will I? <laughs> oh, of course not. And don't step on Sheldon the tortoise. Oh, excuse me, Sheldon. Uh, Am I in the inner office yet?
11: Not yet. Uh, make a left turn at the Pindadendron, dearie. Oh, oh, there you are. Well, and you must be the young lady from the temporary secretarial uh-huh. service. and this must be the office that
1: requested temporary help. Uh, may I ask the name of this company? Oh, there isn't any
11: company here. Oh, well, whose office is this? It? Why, it's my office. Uh, Well, then, uh, who are you? I'm Mother Nature, dearie.
10: And that's only the beginning of our story.
0: Mutual Radio Theater. A new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week. Brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater. Our story, Nature's Way, by Mark Trella. Our stars, Eve Arden, Gene Gillespie, and Michael Miner.
10: Karen Mahoney finds herself in an office that's more like a greenhouse facing an elderly lady who calls herself Mother Nature. Sound interesting? Let's hear some more.
1: I couldn't be sure with all that noise, but did you just say that you were Mother Nature? I certainly did, dearie. Ah, that's what I thought you said. Why would you say something like that, anyway?
11: Because it's true. Don't you believe me?
1: Oh, it's not that I don't believe you. I... I mean, this is a free country, and you can call yourself whatever you like. It's just that I wasn't expecting
11: anything like this up here. My office is a bit unusual, isn't it? You see, I like to create an atmosphere wherever I am, to surround myself with natural elements, even in a setting as unnatural as the 34th floor of this skyscraper.
1: You've certainly succeeded. There are plants here that probably belong in an Amazon rainforest.
11: And some creatures as well.
1: What do you mean by that?
11: Oh, you'll find out soon enough. Now then, what is your name, young lady? It's Karen, Mother Nature, Karen Mahoney. Oh, please, Karen, call me Mother for short. And I think you'll get along very nicely with this little creature. Her name is Karen also. Oh, she's so beautiful. May I hold her? Oh, well, certainly. <laughs> I haven't met a kitten yet who didn't like to be held. Oh, you're so right, Howard. Howard? He's the chipmunk peering over your left shoulder.
1: Uh, hello, Howard. What did you just say?
11: He said I should interview you to make sure you're right for the job. Howard said that? Oh, yes. He's very efficient and business-oriented. He likes to think he's the office manager. (laughs) Uh, I understand. Now, let me see where to begin. It's obvious that you like animals and they like you. (coughs) Oh, that's a very good question, Howard. What's that? Howard would like to know if you'll be attending the office Christmas party. But this is July. (laughs) Howard likes to plan ahead.
1: Uh, assuming that I'm still here in December, I'd love to attend the office Christmas party.
11: Fine. Now, next question. How do you feel about pollution?
1: I think it's just awful. There's absolutely no reason for it, and I think we should get rid of it. How? Oh, I don't know. By just not doing it anymore, I guess.
11: Oh, very good observation, Howard. What's that? Howard said that humans should follow the example of the animal kingdom. He says he doesn't know of any animals that pollute. Oh, I didn't mean to misquote you, Howard. Howard says he has a cousin who runs an acorn factory in Poughkeepsie, but outside of him, he doesn't know any animal polluters personally. I just thought of a question. What is the most obnoxious pollutant known to man and nature? Oh, uh, gee, that's a tough one. A television? <laughs> Oh, that's very funny. Uh, how do you feel about snakes, Karen? Snakes? Ah! Oh, don't, don't, don't be afraid, dear. Oh. That's Willie. He's the boa constrictor around here.
1: Could you please have Willie uncoil himself from around my leg?
11: Oh, Karen, that's just his way of greeting. He can't shake hands, you know.
1: I, I know. Could you please call him off?
11: That's enough affection for now, Willie there'll be plenty of time for you two to get acquainted after Karen becomes a regular member of our staff. I think he's taken the liking to you, Karen. Just my luck. He really didn't have much time to become fond of the previous girls who worked here. Oh, Why is that, Mother? Well, none of the girls stayed here longer than the day. In fact, most of them never returned from their lunch hours. I simply must find someone who is interested and dedicated. Not to mention impervious to
1: reptile attacks.
11: Well, it helps to be thick-skinned in this office, especially when Howard gets in a foul mood. Howard has an acid tongue? He's the Don Rickles of the animal kingdom. (laughs) Uh,
1: All right, I won't pay any attention to her, Howard.
11: I just understood what Howard said. (laughs) Well, it's really quite simple, isn't it? Of course, Howard is a bit easier to understand than, say, Alphonse, our praying mantis. And it does take Sheldon the tortoise forever to get his sentences out. But in time, you will be able to understand all of nature's creatures. I will? Why, certainly, dearie. That is one of this job's fringe benefits. You can commune with nature while you work. Uh, Since we're talking about the job, Mother, what exactly will my duties be? there'll be some light typing, some dictation, snake-sitting with Willie, and some pruning and trimming of the office vegetation. Of course, Howard will help you with Willie. Oh, yes, you will, Howard. It is not nice to disobey Mother Nature.
1: And what is my job title, Mother? Job title?
11: Job title. Oh, goodness. We never had anyone stay long enough to ask that question. How about Insector? You mean inspector? No, you'll be dealing with insects a good deal of the time.
1: Oh, I don't think I like that title, Mother.
11: All right. Well, how about something contemporary, like Vice President Person or Office Human?
1: Well, that's not what I had in mind.
11: That's not a bad idea, Howard.
1: Oh. I think that's a marvelous suggestion myself. Then it's settled. Karen Mahoney
11: will be an emissary. I,
1: that's not to be confused with commissary.
11: <laughs> <laughs> Quite right, Karen. Um.
1: By the way, mother, how much money will I be making?
11: Oh dear. Now that's another thing we never had to worry about before. May I have a short conference with Howard?
1: Oh, why, of course. I'll amuse myself with this rubber plant.
11: How much money do we have in the budget, Howard? <laughs> Oh, dear, we certainly don't want to lose Karen because we can't afford her. She seems like the sort of person I've been looking for. Are you sure you can't find a little more money? Oh, I could kiss you, Howard. But you'll settle for an extra acorn in your pay envelope. Karen, we have decided what we can pay you for your services.
1: Now, I don't want to put you in a bind. I just need enough to pay the rent and keep my husband happy.
11: We hope we're offering you enough. We'd hate to lose you because we can't afford you. Oh,
1: actually, I'm very reasonable, honest. Make me an offer.
11: You tell her, Howard. (gasps)
1: $1,000 a
11: week? (coughs) Oh, goodness, we've upset her. I knew it wasn't enough money. We've embarrassed her, Howard. Well, do something. Get her a glass of water. Oh, no. I, I'll be fine. Honest. I will. Oh, Karen, we apologize oh. for throwing you into a coughing fit with our puny offer.
1: Puny? I was coughing because I couldn't believe you are going to pay me that much. Well, then you'll be our emissary. Oh, you bet. For a thousand dollars a week, I'll even snake sit with Willie. Good. <laughs>
10: We've already met Mother Nature and Karen Mahoney. Now we're about to meet Karen's husband, Alan. Uh, a word of warning, though. Alan's a human jukebox. He spends his days inside a gaily colored cardboard box on the streets of New York playing the kazoo. Right now he's rehearsing a new number with a monkey named Leon.
6: Welcome home, breadwinner
1: thank you What is that?
4: You mean, who is that? Meet Leon, the dancing monkey Hit it, Leon (laughs) What do you think?
1: I think you need a dancing monkey Like California needs another earthquake
4: Very clever Now watch this Isn't it amazing how he salutes and stands at attention? Just wait till I get him a little sailor's outfit. This is the best idea I've had yet.
1: So you're abandoning the human jukebox.
4: Well, I thought I'd try a different approach.
1: Like dragging this poor little monkey all over New York and forcing him to perform while you reap the profits.
4: Well, you make it sound so terrible.
1: Have you asked Leon what he thinks about your scheme?
4: Well, why should I ask him? Next thing you know, you'll want me to get a signed permission slip from his parents.
1: Oh, here, let me have him. Oh, what do you think about all this, Leon? Oh, you don't say.
4: Come on, Karen. You don't expect me to believe that you actually understand what he's trying to...
1: Really? If that's what you want, Leon.
4: Well, what did he say?
1: He said he'd love to do it.
4: I'll be a monkey's uncle. Since when did you learn how to, uh, uh, you know, understand animals?
1: Today at work. My new job involves contact with animals, and I need to know how to communicate with them.
4: Oh, so you're working with a vet?
1: Not really. She's an elderly lady, just a bit eccentric. and She calls herself Mother Nature.
10: Naturally.
1: Her office is on the 34th floor of the Scrivener Building, and it's, it's crammed with flowers and plants and animals.
4: And she's paying your penis.
1: Oh, no. No, she isn't. I'll be making $1,000 a week.
4: $1,000 a, a week? Who is this lady?
1: I told you. Mother Nature.
4: <sighs> I don't know, Karen. I think you've gotten yourself mixed up in something very strange.
1: You're going to put a monkey in a sailor suit and play the kazoo on street corners, and you're calling my job strange?
4: Well, look, I'm concerned about your well-being. You don't know anything about this lady. She might be off a rocker. You ever think of that?
1: Well, I'll admit I was a little skeptical at first, but after a while I began to believe her.
4: Well, she sounds a little loony to me. What if she can't pay you what she says she's going to pay you?
1: I don't think she's the kind of person who makes promises and then breaks them.
4: But you're not sure, are you? Well... Well, she'd better give you some kind of proof that she's who she says she is and will pay you what she says she will, or else you can't work for her.
1: Well, I guess you're right.
4: Sure I am. Now, first thing in the morning, you go in there and tell her.
11: Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Mother. Now, do come in and have a seat. But watch out for Sheldon, Sheldon the, the tortoise. tortoise. Mm-hmm. Now then, tell me how your husband reacted when he learned about your new position. Well, he
1: wasn't exactly thrilled, and he wasn't exactly upset.
11: Oh, one of those types, is he? He probably dislikes the fact that you'll be making more money than he does.
1: Quite honestly, Mother, I could panhandle and make more money than Alan does.
11: So why is he less than enthusiastic about this opportunity for you?
1: Well, he thinks that you might be... A little eccentric.
11: You mean off my rocker?
1: (sighs) Something like that.
11: Which really means that he doesn't think that I am Mother Nature, and he also doubts I will be able to pay you our agreed-upon salary.
1: I'm afraid that's it in a nutshell, Mother. And do
11: you feel the same way, Karen? I could stand some convincing. Well, we can't have any doubting Thomases or Karens aboard, can we? I assume your quandary might be quelled by a demonstration of sorts. If you mean I'd believe you if you gave me some proof, sure. Then I shall proceed. If you would reach behind that hibiscus, you'll find some coal. Please hand me a piece.
1: Here you are, Mother.
11: Now then, you are well aware that some minerals, when placed under extreme heat for extended periods of time, change into different minerals. Mm Mm-hmm. This lump of coal isn't much to look at now. It's dull and black. However, if I place it between my hands like this and exert, say, two million years of stress like this, when I open my hands, the coal has changed into... a diamond. Precisely, dearie. Oh, it's beautiful, Mother. Well, of course it is. Mother Nature wouldn't dream of making an ugly diamond. That's... Absolutely incredible, Mother. Of course. And you are now convinced. Absolutely. But you'd really like to know what on earth I am up to and how you fit into the grand scheme.
1: You've certainly piqued my interest.
11: Good. I have appeared at this time, Karen, because our planet is in a bad way. If I can find some evidence that mankind is seeking to reverse its harmful course... I will then return to the natural environs I so dearly love.
1: What sort of evidence are we talking about, Mother?
11: I'm thinking. Well, something besides a tiny wildlife sanctuary or a new wilderness area. And what's wrong with those? Oh, don't misunderstand me, Karen. They are marvelous gestures, but that's all they are. They don't go deep enough.
1: You mean it's a people problem.
11: Exactly, my dear.
1: So you came to New York to try the Madison Avenue approach. Advertising, catchy
11: slogans, happy jingles. Mother Nature must keep abreast of the times.
1: If you ask me, it's a big waste of time and money.
11: Then what do you suggest?
1: I suggest you take your case to the people. If you tell them the situation, they're bound to take your side.
11: Oh no, I'm afraid I can't be walking out on the streets. I'm I'm much too busy, and besides, it's dangerous out there. I have an idea. My little demonstration convinced you, right? Oh, it was a real showstopper, Mother. By extension, if I were to conduct a large-scale demonstration for the entire world. That might convince people to be more considerate of the environment.
1: Well, that all depends. What sort of demonstration did you have in mind?
11: Something on the destructive side. A mild cataclysm, perhaps.
1: You mean people would be hurt?
11: Oh, don't misunderstand me, Karen. I'm not a violent person by nature. But there are times when a grand display, such as the one I have in mind, is the best remedy imaginable. It gives one such a sense of accomplishment to destroy something.
1: Don't you even care that innocent people might be hurt?
11: Oh, my dear Karen, all of us are polluters, so how can anyone be innocent?
1: No, no, wait just a minute. I don't think you're being one bit fair. I believe there are people out there who right this very minute are are leading sane and non-destructive lives in harmony with nature.
11: Such a very moving speech, my dear. You've convinced the creatures, obviously, but you haven't convinced me.
1: Well, I I guess I'll just have to prove it then, won't I?
11: I would think that is the only option left to humanity.
1: How many non-polluting people would it take to convince you not to obliterate the
11: human race? Now, I do want to be completely fair about this. Well,
1: I'm sure you will be.
11: And I don't want to set a goal which you couldn't possibly achieve. Oh,
1: don't worry about that, Mother. I'm confident I can find whatever number you set is the limit.
11: Very well, then. If you can find three responsible people within the next two weeks, I, Mother Nature, will not unleash my destructive forces on humanity. Three?
1: Is that all?
11: That's all, dearie. Well,
1: that doesn't sound too difficult. I should be able to find three people by the end of this week.
11: We'll see about that, dearie. We'll see about that.
10: If Karen Mahoney can find three people who don't pollute, Mother Nature won't unleash her destructive forces on humankind. Just three non-polluting people. That's all. Let's hear how she does.
1: Mother Nature gave me two weeks to find those three people. I think that's more than enough time. I just need to figure out how I'm going to find them.
4: Did you talk to this Mother Nature about being a weirdo? I mean, she's not going to blow up the Bronx, is she?
1: No way, Alan. She's the genuine article.
4: What makes you say that?
1: Well, she conducted a, a very convincing demonstration for me.
4: Hmm? What sort of a demonstration?
1: Well, she took a piece of coal and changed it into a diamond.
4: I'll be a monkey's uncle. A real diamond? Uh-huh.
1: I actually held it.
4: And you say she does this trick with ordinary coal?
1: Uh-huh. Black, dull, and very ordinary. Where are you going, Alan?
4: find myself some coal. <laughs>
10: And so, while Alan went in search of coal, Karen went in search of three special people she needed to find. She spoke with many people from all walks of life, always the same result. Everyone polluted the environment in some way, but Karen did find some unusual offenders, and one person in particular was
1: worthy of note. Mm, that man over there just picked up some litter. Maybe he might be a non <clears throat> Um ex- Excuse me, sir. May I ask you a few questions?
10: Sorry, lady. i got to get back to work.
1: I, uh, I'd like to find out why you picked up that piece of trash.
10: That wasn't trash. It was my lunch. Look, my boss could be coming any second.
1: Oh, well, this won't take long, I promise. When
10: my boss says take a 15-minute break, he means 15 minutes.
1: I really got to get back to work. Hey, can't we talk while you work? Ah, you could try. What do you mean? <laughs> I, I, I'd like to know what you're doing about pollution. What were you saying? I said, what are you doing about pollution? Oh, there's my book. About pollution. What am I doing about what? About pollution. About pollution.
10: In the first place... I don't know too much about
1: it. Well, let me explain. There are many kinds of pollution. There's, there's air pollution. There's water pollution. Oh, oh there's my boss again.
6: There, there's oil pollution. There's chemical pollution. And there's noise pollution.
1: What was that last one? Noise pollution. Oh. Noise pollution. Oh, noise
10: pollution. Like uh, a loud, continuous, irritating noise. Exactly. Well, I think that's terrible, inconsiderate, and irresponsible. And I think anyone caught doing it should be given a ticket or something.
1: Then shouldn't you be given a ticket? Me? What for? Uh, for making a loud, continuous, irritating noise with that thing.
10: Hey, this is different. This is how I make my living.
1: Yeah, but it's still pollution, isn't it?
10: Uh-oh, there's my boss again.
1: Uh-oh is right. <laughs> Hello, Mother.
11: Oh, Karen, my dear. You sound depressed. Is something the matter?
1: I've been interviewing people for days on end, and I can't seem to find anyone who even cares about the environment.
11: So you haven't found a single person? I haven't
1: even found a married person.
11: And time is running out.
1: How much time do I have left, Mother?
11: Well, let me see. My sundial says one thing and my sand timer another. I think you've run out of time, my dear.
10: Andy Griffith again, and here's the fourth act of Nature's Way. You know, I'd hate to be in Karen Mahoney's shoes right now because her time has run out. And Mother Nature is ready to lower the boom on humanity.
1: That can't possibly be right, Mother. I thought I had at least two more days.
11: Well, I could be wrong, you know. Mother Nature does make a mistake now and then. I remember when I thought it might be cute to put wings on a fish Mother, the fish. Mother,
1: Mother time is of the essence. Then I Please to give to put me one warm more day on, a tire on
11: those odd birds I found in the Arctic. And then Mother, I... you're not
1: listening to me.
11: Of course I am, dearie. You want me to give you one more day. Do you honestly think you can find three people in one day? No, I won't
1: sleep a wink, Mother. I'll keep going until I drop. I'll never give up.
11: Perhaps it might be easier if you only needed to find one person.
1: I've got several solid leads, and I know I can find three people if you'll just give me. Karen,
11: you're not listening to me.
1: Of course I am. You said I only have to find one person now.
11: Oh, Carol. It's not nice to trick Mother Nature. I'll see
1: you in 24 hours, Mother. Bye. 47,
10: 48,
4: 49, 50.
1: I'm home.
4: 51, 52,
1: Alan, what are you doing?
4: Counting our fortune.
1: That's coal, Alan. Ordinary black coal. Are you sure you're all right?
4: Now it is ordinary black coal. However, if you take in one piece of coal to Mother Nature and have her do her number on it, I figure in two months we'll be financially independent and I won't have to work.
1: How is that any different from now?
4: All right, then you won't have to work.
1: Oh, forget it, Alan. What about your monkey ski?
4: Uh, Leon ran away.
1: Oh, gee, that's too bad.
4: Well, that's why it's important to take advantage of this new opportunity. Come on, Karen.
1: Alan, you're just like everyone else, worrying about your own little world while the real world is going down the tube. But this city is in the middle of the worst heat wave in years. Energy consumption is at an all-time high. It hasn't even drizzled here in two weeks.
10: All right,
4: already. So what can I do about it?
1: Think. Do you know of one single person who might not be guilty of polluting. Just one. That's all I need.
4: Gee, that's a tough one. Well, let's see. There's Harvey. Uh, no. And Milo. Uh, no, he's no good either. Oh, well, wait. Felix Hoopelman. He's your man.
1: Felix Hoopelman?
4: You're right. He belongs to an environmental group. Save the speckled gecko or something.
1: Oh, I've An environmental group. Why didn't I think of that?
7: Why, certainly, Mr. Mayor. I guarantee that declaring next Tuesday, Save the Speckled Gecko Day, will increase your support among the concerned environmentalists in this city. Yes, sir. Well, thank you, sir. Goodbye. Well, hello there.
1: Mr. Hoopelman, I'm Karen Mahoney, Alan's wife.
7: Healy, please. Yeah, Alan called and said you were coming over. Have a seat.
1: Thank you. Oh, my, you certainly seem busy here.
7: Oh, yes, saving a speckled gecko is a -a 24-hour-a-day job, you know.
1: Um, Pardon my ignorance, but I don't know what a speckled gecko is.
7: Well, you're not alone, my dear. The average person not only doesn't know what a speckled gecko is, he doesn't even care.
1: Can you believe that? Oh, yes. I've found that apathy concerning environmental issues is prevalent among people today.
7: Not only that, they just don't care about our little friend here. This is his picture. We call him Spanky.
1: Kind of homely, isn't he?
7: Well, uh, Mother Nature, in her infinite wisdom, provided the speckled gecko with drab coloration and homely features so that he could survive against his predators. But... Now a new predator threatens to eliminate this harmless creature who calls the rocky nooks and crannies around the Bay of Bengal his home.
1: And what predator is that, Felix? Uh,
7: Pollution and environmental contaminants, of course.
1: Oh, oh, right, absolutely. It's
7: a well-known fact that large corporations, in their endless search for new sources of energy, have despoiled the natural treasures of this planet and dislodged Mother Nature's creatures from their centuries-old homes. Mm, What's more, they've shown a callous disregard to the plight of these creatures, and they have turned a deaf ear to the enraged outcries of sincere environmental efforts such as this one.
1: I couldn't agree with you more, Mr. Hoopelman. Felix, please.
7: (laughs) I'm sorry, Alan said something about your asking me questions, and here I am lecturing away about irresponsible corporations and insensitive leaders.
1: I don't mind. I find it very refreshing and inspiring.
7: Mm, Well, of course, you realize that in the end, rhetoric is meaningless. only action to save our endangered friends in the animal kingdom really counts for anything. Oh,
1: you're so right, Mr. Hoover. Uh, Felix. (sighs) Uh,
7: Hey, I'm just about to leave for the day. Can I give you a lift somewhere?
1: Oh, that would be nice.
7: Uh,
1: Felix, there's someone I'd like you to meet. Someone who shares the same lofty ideals as you someone in a position to really do something about the environment and pollution.
7: Well, if it's all the same, I'd rather get to know you a little better.
1: Oh, well, who knows? If my friend approves, you and I might even work together.
7: Yeah, I'd like that. Where to?
1: Uh, The Scrivener building.
7: Okay, here we go.
1: Felix, this car doesn't sound like it's tuned properly. I'm sure
7: it isn't, but I haven't had time to attend to it. I've been so busy. Uh,
1: Do you know that we're trailing a smoke screen behind us?
7: Yeah, it burns a little oil. But I'm getting a new car, an ecologically sane one. You see, as treasurer of Save the Speckled Gecko, I am entitled to make withdrawals from time to time for my own personal expenses. And, uh, I almost have enough to buy a new car.
1: But in the meantime, you'll continue driving this smoke belching monstrosity.
7: Well, I have to get to my job. (sighs) I see.
1: Uh, you can let me out here, Miss Simpleman.
4: So you see, Mother Nature, I'm at my wit's end.
11: Yes, I see, Mr... Uh...
4: Mahoney. Alan Mahoney.
11: Mahoney? You wouldn't happen to be Karen's husband.
4: Karen? Oh, no, no, I'm not married. I'm a sincere, hard-working graduate student engaged in research. Oh, what sort of research, Mr. Mahoney? Oh, call it modern alchemy, if you will. But I'm trying to find a way to transmute coal into oil or gas or anything that will help us through this energy crisis.
11: And you think I might have a philosopher's stone which would enable you to do this?
4: Exactly. We could be partners, if you like.
11: Now, I just happen to have some coal with me. I'm curious, Mr. Mahoney. Why did you choose coal? Oh, I just had a hunch at my work. You know, it's not very nice to trick Mother Nature. Trick Mother Nature? You want me to change your coal into diamonds so you will never have to work again.
4: Well, I'll be a monkey's uncle.
11: Yes, that is exactly what you will be. Better yet, a monkey in a sailor suit. (laughs) Oh, darling, you've become, Mr. Mahoney. Uh, Who's there?
1: It's Karen, Mother. Oh, we're in back, dearie. Mother, we need to have another discussion. Oh, you found Leon. Leon? Yes, that's my husband's monkey. He ran away.
4: I have news for you, Karen. My name isn't Leon.
1: I thought I heard that monkey say his name isn't Leon.
11: Well, I don't believe it is. He told me his name was Mahoney. Alan Mahoney.
1: That's my husband's name.
11: Oh, he said he wasn't married. The monkey? No, the man. I'm confused, Mother... There was a man here with the monkey? No, no, no. The man tried to make a monkey out of Mother Nature, so I had to make a monkey out of him.
1: Is that you, Alan?
4: It ain't Bugs Bunny.
1: Then
11: you have met.
1: Mother, could you change this monkey back into my husband?
11: If it will end this monkey business, of course. You know, young man, it isn't nice to trick Mother Nature. I got that impression. Now then, Karen, what shall we discuss? The search. It's going very badly.
1: Isn't there some other condition I could fulfill so that a natural disaster
11: could be averted? I think not, dearie. Why, unbeknownst to you, I've even sent Howard out to assist you. Howard the chipmunk? Yes, of course. He's very observant and he covers a lot of ground. Has he had any luck? I really don't know. He's very bad about reporting in. Oh, then it
1: is hopeless. Why don't you just unleash your destructive forces and get it over with? Now,
11: what sort of attitude is that, Karen? You still have one hour left. Maybe you'll find Howard and he'll have a leave for you.
1: How did I ever get mixed up in this in the first place?
4: Don't be depressed, kiddo.
1: Depressed? My husband is turned into a monkey. A woman calling herself Mother Nature plans to destroy the world. I'm supposed to contact a talking chipmunk named Howard. And you tell me not to be depressed. (laughs) I imagine Mother Nature had something to do with this.
4: It's the fifth day in a row that temperatures have been in the 90s, with no relief in sight.
1: I suppose we'll continue our search to the bitter end. Did you hear something? Not a thing. There it is again. That's Howard. Where are you, Howard? Howard! Oh, am I glad to see you! Yeah, I I know there isn't much time, but have you found anyone who doesn't pollute? You did? Well, who is it? That man over there? Oh, you mean that lady over there. You, you can't mean that man over there, can you?
4: That's the one? You sure Howard isn't putting us on? I mean, maybe the heat's gotten to
1: it. No, Howard insists. That's the man. He, he said to watch him. He's... Picking up paper and cigarette butts, and he's putting them in the trash.
4: Now, don't be ridiculous, Karen. He's the last person you'd expect.
1: No, no, Alan. I have a feeling Howard is right. That man over there is our man.
4: That's impossible, Karen. That man happens to be a garbage man. <laughs> Excuse me, sir, but you'll have to come with us.
1: It's a matter of life and death.
4: I'm sorry, but I can't leave my job. Like the lady says, it's a matter of life and death.
7: Hey, where are you taking me? Help!
1: <laughs> we, we found him, Mother Nature. We found him.
4: Hey, the office is empty.
1: Oh, I don't understand.
10: I think I do. You people are crazy. Kidnapping a sanitation engineer and dragging him up to an empty office and yelling and carrying on like that.
1: I don't understand. I I thought we finally found the right person. Hey. What's going
8: on here?
1: It's starting to drizzle inside this office.
10: He's right, Karen. It is raining.
1: I think she's trying to tell us something, Alan. It's Mother Nature's way of telling us something. Does this mean we're safe, Mother Nature?
11: For the time being, dearie. For the time being.
0: The Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, Nature's Way, was written by Mark Trella and produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Your host was Andy Griffith. Our stars were Eve Arden, Gene Gillespie, and Michael Miner. Featured in the cast were Stanley Director and Jack Edwards. The Mutual Radio Theater theme was composed by Nelson Riddle. John Harlan speaking. The Elliott Lewis production of Mutual Radio Theater is a presentation of CBI.
10: This is Vincent Price. Join us tomorrow. I'll have another
3: story to astonish and mystify you.